Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hi there, I'm Rebecca Lowe. Welcome along to the latest edition of the Premier League on NBC podcast, where you can get the latest can't-miss content from NBC's coverage of one of the best leagues in the world. Be sure to tune in on weekends at 7 a.m. Eastern for Premier League mornings on NBCSN and Peacock Premium. But for now, we hope you enjoy the latest edition of the Premier League on NBC podcast. Pretty straightforward in the end, that for Mikel Arteta's Arsenal. They are joint fourth with West Ham. Worst goal difference. Are we looking at a top four challenge from the Gunners? I think we will look at a top four challenge. I don't think they'll get there, but they've got a really good chance. They're improving. Second half, they improved. They were better than the first half. Two 20-year-old players, Rebecca, scoring the two goals. A little bit of individual quality Mm. there. So, grew into the game. I watch Arsenal as much defensively as I watch them going forward because that's in the past is where they've let themselves down. They've been good on the ball, but but conceived too many goals. I think the defending, the new defenders in particular, are finding uh, a real rhythm in that back four. Goalkeeper's doing a great job, Tim. I kind of like an Arsenal right now, yeah? Arteta has always believed in youth. He always wanted to go with youth. Mm. And this season, that youth is taking them to fifth right now. Yeah, and I, and I think they do have an opportunity to get into the top four, only because the teams around them I don't really like. I, I don't think there's enough power in that top eight for them to, to really be challenged. So I think they'll get there. Um, but the youth, as we said with soccer, we want him. We want to see the vibrant soccer with the smile on his face running in behind defenders. Haven't seen it enough. He had a little bit of a hangover from last year, but I tell you what, today he was fantastic. Mikhail, that second half was what you wanted to see. You're waiting for a spark, really, weren't you? Yes. In the first half, we took the game where we wanted, but. Um, but without really being a real threat and understanding the, um, how we had to attack that block um, well enough and we lacked some composure in the final set to give the final ball better, the shooting, I don't know how many times we shoot, but we didn't hit the target at all. In the second half, we changed a few things. I think we started already in a different way. Our purpose, our rhythm was much better and we started to generate chances and uh, we managed to score two and obviously the game was in control. And Bukaya Saka swap flanks, it worked perfectly. It's a fantastic goal, actually, lovely passing move. It was great, uh, and that's why you need some creativity, some spark um, in that final third against a really low block. And once that happened, obviously the spaces were different, and, and we could have scored the second one. And a clever substitution as well. <laughs> it's not clever, it's what he deserves. Gabby is a, is a joy to work with, uh, the way he trains, whether he's playing or not. He totally deserves a chance, and, um, and he's a goal threat. And what he's done today is, is not an easy goal. Again, another lovely finish, his second touch. In the first half, we could see you urging the side to lift the tempo, to, to, mm. to, to get going. It was too slow. It's uh, our first phase on... With our centre back, it was too slow and we didn't have enough threading behind and we didn't occupy certain spaces which they, they defended well uh, without that. And uh, once we interpreted that better, I think we started to attack much better. Can I change the subject a little bit? You were talking about Arsene Wenger and yeah. the possibility of involving him here at the club. So there's many managers who wouldn't do that because they, they would feel insecure of a man with that presence. But it seems like a... a, a, a I think me personally, everybody who works here and everybody at the club, what we feel towards our saying is gratitude. Me, the mm-hmm. first one, because if not, I wouldn't be sitting here. And what I'm saying is that I think he will enjoy to see at least being more around. I know he needed his space, but just being around and, and having the feeling of how much... People love him. I think it would be great for him. And the rest, I don't know what is going to happen. And there's plenty of knowledge in that brain as well, isn't there? Absolutely. <laughs> Imagine for me with somebody that has been here 22 years. And, um, and I know him well. And, um, yeah, time will tell. Well done, Michael. Thank you. Eddie Howe, big job. Big two games. Norwich at home, Burnley at mm-hmm. home. I mean, massive games, Rebecca. I thought they looked better in the first half particularly, but it's got to get, get a win. 
And then, like, nine more probably stay in the division. It's not going to be easy. No, as you say, two six-pointers. Then it's Leicester, Liverpool, Man United, right. Man City. So a bit of a nightmare run coming up for Eddie Howe and Newcastle United. Eddie, that's a disappointing result. How do you view the performance? I thought it was good for the first probably 30, 35 minutes. I thought we were, we were solid. I thought we creaked a little bit before half-time. Um, Arsenal got on top. Um, and probably the same after half-time until the goal. Um, and then, obviously, you've got, I haven't seen it again, but the penalty incident and the second goal, um, Ramsdale's made a, a couple of great saves in the game. So I thought we were very close. Could have been very different. Yeah, they, they took the lead. And then you're still, were you distracted by that penalty appeal? Because the second one went in while this, it was still all going. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I can't speak on behalf of the players. Um, but it's, to me, it looked like a penalty. But, uh, you know, you need to see it again and, and, and need to see why it wasn't given. Um, but Callum looks like he's through one-on-one. Um, but uh, it wasn't, and we needed to defend it better. Uh, obviously, that second goal was a, was a killer blow at that stage of the game. No clean sheet as yet. I mean, did you see positives out there today? I did, yeah. I thought they were, you saw a committed team. I thought you saw a group of players that gave everything. Um, we, I thought we, we started, as I say, we started brightly. I don't think we were our best with the ball today. I thought there was a lot of counter-attack opportunities for us to deliver better, especially with the players we have in the team. Um, but we ended the game very strongly. We, we we were the team trying to find a way back in. All those characteristics we're going to need, we, we never dropped our heads today. Still a lot of work to do, do you think? There's always going to be a lot of work to do, regardless of the result today. Um, this was a big a big task ahead of us. Um, it's got slightly bigger today, but I saw positive signs. But potential turning point, of course, these next two games that you've got coming up, Norwich and Burnley. Every game is a potential turning point. I don't think we can target Pacific games. It's every game we try to win. Although they're the ones down alongside you. Of course. Every game is hugely important. Thank you, Eddie. Thank you. Full-time whistle, goalless then, between Brighton and Leeds. And there were some boos from the home fans. And you can see the shaking of the head there from Graham Potter saying, can't believe they're booing. And it's difficult to understand that because if you look at Brighton through 13 Premier League games over the last five seasons, well, back in 2017-18, they were ninth, then it was 12th, 12th and 16th last season. Look at them now. After 13 games, they're sitting in eighth position and that is what upset Graham Potter the most. At the end, the fans didn't sound too pleased. There were a few boos. What would you like to say to them? Well, they're entitled to their opinion. I disagree with them completely. And just explain a little bit more why. Well, because you, you have to understand the game, you have to understand uh, who we're playing against, how we played, what we did. I think we're sitting eighth in the Premier League, but maybe I need a bit of a history lesson at this football club. <laughs> well, that's the first time I think I've ever seen Graham Potter with any kind of edge at all. Here's a point, doesn't he, Tim? Very much so. And, and the fans have a point. They pay good money, they can boo or do whatever they want. But I like he was strong there because he's right. He's right. They play really good football. They're well coached. They, they train hard. They work hard. And they're good value for it. And they're in eighth place. I mean, how, how dare Brighton be booing a team that's in eighth place? It, it's he, I, I absolutely agree with Graham Potter. Rob? It's not very often where a manager has a bit of a pop at the fans. Yeah, it's yeah. a dangerous road to go down, but he's confident enough, and rightly mm-hmm. so, yeah. that he's like, well, I'm surprised at that. And afterwards, the reaction was kind of like shaking his head. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of remarkable, Rebecca. Like, victim of his own success. They're eighth place in the table. They play great football. They're not grinding anymore. They didn't right. create Chris... Uh, cute and before the way that they play so I'm surprised as well but you're right fans have got they come up and they pay their money they, they'll boo whatever they want to boo but wow Brighton are doing so well this season indeed above the likes of Manchester United as sure. well you have to say and only uh, what one point behind Tottenham so a really mm. good start for Graham Potter's men okay let's move on to their opponents which were Leeds United under Marcelo Bielsa at the end of the game he sort of sat on that little platform that he's got on that stool and sort of hung his head because Leeds are looking at the table three points clear they've won one or two games I should say in 13 mm. Tim We've talked a lot about Leeds and you're, you're fairly sure that they will improve, but they have to do it quickly, otherwise he's going to come under some pressure. Yeah, I don't see the same spark. In it. He asks probably more of his team than any other team in the Premier League physically. Maybe Liverpool are asking the same type of numbers and mileage in terms of pressing. They, they open the pitch, they play. I just don't see the same pop in the players, the way they pressed last season. And look, that that's physically very, very demanding. And so 
if you're not going to do that, then you have to figure out a way to be def- defensively resilient. They aren't that. They aren't Burnley in the way they defend. They aren't Chelsea or they aren't Liverpool in the way they defend differently. So they are conceding goals. And without Patrick Bamford, without that vertical stretch, they, they, they've, they've suffered a little bit. And they've gotten goals here or there. But Daniel James isn't the answer as the nine. Mm. Why would the players not be? having that energy, that press, like last well, year. Well, you know, I, I was thinking the same thing. It's like, they've still had the same preseason. Yeah. They've still, they've benefited from the success, the joys of that. I remember I, I tweeted in the summer, there was a graph about distance covered and, and speed of runs. And everybody else Sprint, was here. Sprint, And leads were like right yeah, up here. Yeah, it was yeah. remarkable. And it worked last year. And it year. worked last year. We can point to players being injured, Tim, which mm-hmm. is, is really important. Luke Ayling is another important sure. player that's out injured right now. But it still doesn't really explain why they're not quite the same crazy, marauding, energetic side. I'll repeat myself from, I think I said it yesterday, Sheffield United last season, nobody thought was going to go mm-hmm. down. And then we see them at the bottom, I think you asked us many times after about six, seven, eight, nine, ten games, are they going to stay down there? No, Rebecca, like, they're too good, they're too strong, they'll find a way. And injuries, poor uh, confidence... Results start to go down. They spiralled into, like, never looked like scoring again. Now, I hope that doesn't happen to Leeds United, but I'm not saying it couldn't because of of results, Mm. injuries, confidence, energy, the work ethic goes down, the doubt in the manager, the fans start to boo and start to get... It it, it can spiral out of control. Let me me just make this point, though. We look at Liverpool. They, they press the same way. After a certain amount of seasons, it started to kind of die out a little bit, peter mm. out, lots of injuries, right? Don't forget, this Leeds team isn't a one-season wonder. A lot of these same players were in the championship with Bielsa playing the same style. So they have a lot of mile, mileage on their legs. It could just have hit a wall and have to try and go again. That's interesting. Can the exertion of pressing and chasing and high energy and crazy fitness over the course of a number of years, can that be cumulative as a player? It's a really great question. I'd say for the older players, yes. But for the younger ones, I mean, it's not as though they've got a ton of international players, Tim, that are still playing in the, in the summer break, can get a rest. Um, it's just an, I, I, it's a tough answer, mm. the question to answer because as an older player, I think so. But as younger ones, you get a break, you get pre-season, you get fit again. Maybe mentally. Is it mentally difficult to keep grinding and, and asking your body to get there and chase all the way back and keep going up and down the field? Maybe mentally it's tougher. And, and last, let, let's, not, let's not discount the fact that the Premier League is the best league in the world. They've had a season now. Pep Guardiola's had a season now to work out leads. Right, Leeds first came up. They yeah. surprised you. Who the heck? Who yeah. the heck plays so this different. way? Now managers are going. Oh, we have we have a blueprint of how this works. We know they're going to spread you out. No, they're going to take chances here. So teams adapt as well. We're going to focus now on Manchester United. A little reminder for you of how they've done recently, of course, leading up to the firing of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer after that game against Watford last weekend that finished 4-1 to uh, Watford. Villarreal in midweek in the Champions League. They won it. He made some changes, did Michael Carrick. It's Chelsea today. It's Arsenal on Thursday. And then next weekend, it's Crystal Palace at home. Let's hear now from one of Manchester United's homegrown talents. Marcus Rashford spoke this week to our colleague at Sky, Laura Woods, on what has been a real roller coaster. Marcus, it's been quite an up and down couple of weeks at Carrington. In terms of that Villarreal win, how much was that needed? I think it was, it's obvious that it's needed. Um, you know, leading up to that game was obviously difficult for us. We was already in a difficult patch and then with Oli leaving, it makes things even more trickier. But one of the things that Oli always said to us was when you're on the pitch, stick together. And that performance against um, Villarreal was was that, I think, and we found a way to, to win the game. Going back to the previous game, the Watford game, Bruno on the pitch afterwards was speaking to the fans and saying, don't blame Oli, blame us. Is that a moment where you've looked at yourselves and you do take some responsibility in what happened after that game? Yeah, you have to. I think any athlete that has desire to win in a team sport, you don't win on your own, and you don't lose on your own. And the manager and the staff are part of our collective, so it doesn't make sense to be shouting at one one man. Bruno's spot on there. Um, but as soon as a club like Man United lose, it starts to be this person's fault or this person's fault. It's the price you, you pay for playing for a, such a big big club. And Oli was, was the one that lost his job. He played the ultimate price. Afterwards, was, were there any conversations around it? Was there any guilt from the, from the players? I think inside you feel guilty because... Everybody has a role to play when you're on the pitch. Our aim for every game is to win. If we're not getting the, the, the wins and we're not getting the results that we need, it's going to be the manager that's, that's at risk. The way I see it, the players are at risk as well because it's a big club. Um, 
who have the the chance to sign big players that that will do the job. Did Oli speak to you guys individually or as a group on his way out? Yeah, both actually, um, individually and around breakfast time, and then we had a meeting before we went out to train, um, which was very different to be honest with you because we've been here, I've been here when managers have left and they just pack the stuff and go out the door but again it shows how good of a of a person he is how much the club means to him and I think Oli knows he'll always be a legend of this club and the players that are here now respect him 100% and you know the way it started and the position that he brought us to we was, we was close a couple of times to to winning big trophies and um, we we always seem to just just fall short. I think if them them moments uh, go our way sometimes, maybe we would have had more time. Um, but you know it's football; things things happen. You can only move on from it, and even though it's difficult, yeah, you have to find a way to move on. Is it difficult to have a period of time where you've said goodbye to one manager, you have an interim manager, potentially you might have another interim manager before the actual manager? How unsettling is that? Yeah, it's it's a bit... It can be unsettling if you think about it. Like, for me, I'm not thinking about that. I'm just thinking about the next game and doing, you know, working with Carras and, and Kieran, the coaching staff, and what can we do to win the next game? That's what's important, and... That's all we can focus on. As our subject for the boot room this morning, to talk a bit about the plan or lack of at Manchester United, Robbie. And hearing Laura Woods ask that question there to Marcus Rashford about how unsettling it is to have the interim, then another interim, and then the main man. This overarching philosophy, this plan for this season, short, medium and long term, how would you describe it? Well, first of all, I think it's important to say that this was this is this was forced on them. Mm-hmm. They expected Olga and Solskjaer to be there at least for this whole se- for the whole season. So I think you understand. Wow, we've got to readjust. I think Michael Carrick kind of makes sense. He's already there. I know some people feel that the, all of the coaching staff should go right now. They need him to take over, and then we move on to Ralph Ranić, uh, the next interim. And I like the appointment um, in terms of the philosophy. Uh, there's two parts to it, isn't there, with Ralph Ranić? What he can do immediately. In, in his coaching, and I think you make a point there that those clubs aren't a Man United, so there's a little bit of a, a difference, but he's done great work, Rebecca, and I think what, he, what he's done as a coach is exactly what the, the, the club and the team needs right now. Um, so different to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, there'll be a game plan, there'll be a philosophy, I think he's got to, he's got to find a strong defensive foundation, number one. Number two, he's got to revamp the centre of midfield. There's some good midfield players at that club that aren't playing in mm-hmm. midfield. Paul Pogba, are you a central midfield player? Can a coach find a way for him to be an effective central midfield player, which is what is, is very, very best? Va- uh, Van der Beek as well. Are you good enough to play in mm-hmm. central midfield? There's enough forwards, Michael Rashford being included, that can do the business up front. It's just that the pieces behind have to be stronger. But aren't, Tim, the owners asking a lot of these players? They're mm-hmm. going to have to change the way they've played under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer to yeah. do the gegen press, the repress, yeah. the, yeah. the strong pressing that Rangnick wants. And then come the summer, they're going to employ somebody on a full-time basis. How do we know that that is mm-hmm. going to be the same style as the last six months that they're going to have to pick up? Is that not asking a lot of the players? Yeah, Ho- hopefully... Okay, I think the question is when you look at where he's been, not massive clubs. There's a, there's a, there's only a few clubs that can play this style. Was it implemented at Liverpool? Yes. Is Liverpool a big club? Yes. Did it take a lot of time? Yes. It took years for your club to get the team where they are. If this style, here's how the transition hopefully works. If this style that he implements is a, is a style going forward, and then he moves into a consultancy role, he should then be the one to say, this is the manager we need to bring in to continue this style mm. and then go from there. That, we hope that that's the plan, but I'm not sure that that's the plan. That's interesting. Okay, if that happens, mm. which manager will fit that style? To be, to be brutally honest, I don't actually know. He, he, would have, he obviously is going to have more of an idea. The one that I like the most is Pochettino. And would that Ke- fit? Do you think would that That's what I don't know. It? That's what I don't know. It's not really his style. Maybe Ten Hag, uh, who's that? I, I, it's, it's difficult to say because I think the best manager 
out there for, for the club, in my opinion, is Pochettino, but I'm not sure that he plays that style. Are they going to trust him, Ralph Ranić? Mm. And this is what we're going to find out over these coming weeks and months. Do they like his the cut of his jib? They have is to, do they? Well, but they don't have to. If they don't like the way that he works, well, we'll go with Pochettino or somebody else. If they like what he does, they have to trust what he's done in the mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. What he's done in the game is mentor, hire, inspire, Correct. teach coaches. And Eric Tanhag, to go back to your point, Tim... It kind of feels, that feels exciting. A, a really good, bright young coach doing a remarkable job at a smaller club with less money and then being mentored by Ralph Ranić. If the next few weeks sure. and months goes well, sounds like a good direction, Rebecca. Sounds like a really good direction. But again, he's got to impress with his coaching initially and, and some of the higher-ups of how he carries himself. But that sounds like a good combination. I just don't know whether the club mm-hmm. are going to trust him enough right. to say, here you go, here's the keys to our philosophy for the next medium to long term. Or, as has happened before, they trust him so much, he does such a good job, that he becomes a permanent manager (laughs) in the summer. (laughs) Who actually knows when it comes to Manchester United? For more on this topic, weighing in for us, Graham Lasso and Arlo Rebecca, thank you. Graham, I've been looking forward to this chat um, because as part of your role at Real Mallorca in La Liga, on the football side, you've done your due diligence, you've done (laughs) your background, you're as thorough as ever in your work. You went to Leipzig and you spent two days at that club Mm. that Ralph Rangnick basically built from scratch. Firstly, just tell us about the two days and how it panned out. Yeah, it's going back a couple of years now, obviously before the pandemic, but I went out there because he is, as the guys have said, as Rebecca said, he's, he's got so much knowledge they call him you know the grandfather of this particular press and what 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 I wanted to find out from him um, and the invitation I got was based on looking out at how he built the club and he has involvement in every aspect of the club he understands that you've got to be able to communicate between all your departments all your football departments all your infrastructure departments and work on a plan so he's a long-term guy when it was announced that he was possibly going to take over at United as interim manager for six months my first thought was no, there's got to be more to it than that because mm. he's not a six-month guy. And then it turned out he's got this consultancy role to help build the infrastructure, which is going to take years, I think, to get everything aligned at Manchester United. But the things that I found from him were his enthusiasm, his knowledge of every part of the game. His, he challenges every part, whether it's the medical department, whether it's recruitment, whether it's constantly challenging himself to improve the team. One of the big standouts for me about Leipzig at that time was they took out their under-23 team out of their structure so they went under 18 to first team and I was asking him well why did you do that and he said because we want to reduce the age of our first team squad which they brought down from 29 to 24 whilst he was there and they said therefore if we haven't got we don't need a 23 year old squad because they're either in the first team or out on loan or they're coming from our under 18s so it's connecting all the dots Mm. and joining all that together that doesn't mean that's right for Manchester United but what does impress me and what excites me if I was a Manchester United fan would be the fact that he's got vast knowledge in all of these areas and he can take things out of his experience and and bring those things together he's got a lot of credibility in that Mm. respect Um, and I think that it's going to be a fascinating first six months for him but even more interesting next two years if, if it all goes according to plan what's he like as a man in his company Oh, he's fantastic. He's a real people person. High standards, as you could expect. Attention to detail. You know, I suppose people would say micromanages. Um, that you know, he's got his fingers in every single pie and is is working. Um, you know, working at, in, at a high level in all of those departments. So you've got to be robust enough, whether you're a player or whether you're on the recruitment side, whatever department you're in. You've got to be prepared to go into work Monday, be challenged Monday, do the same again Tuesday, and he's going to be in your ear every time, wanting you to improve what you're doing. And that's his philosophy. That's what has built his success. And his ability to be able to work on the pitch as a coach, but also off the pitch as a technical director or a sort of CEO-type character, he's got that ability to manage to ownership um, and to the Mm. players on the grass. And that's really rare. What are his priorities at Manchester United? Well, he's got to, you know, the first six months in terms of the football priorities, he's got to get that team up up the pitch. As the guys were saying um, on the armchairs, um, <laughs> that, that, that you know he's got to get the, the team performing uh, much more consistently and get the best out of some of those creative players. That's a challenge because he's got to work out where does Ronaldo fit in mm. if we're playing a certain pressing style. How does he get the best out of the young players? And that for me is the key. Jaden Sancho, Greenwood, Rashford, those sorts of players. If it was me, I'd be saying, right, I'm going to back these guys. I'm going to give because they've got the energy, the enthusiasm, the hunger, the desire to learn every day, and they could be the backbone of this next Manchester United period. Ronaldo's an interesting one because 
He's 36, and pressing may not be top of his list of priorities. <laughs> is he a special case? Can you make him a special case and say he's one of the best players that's ever played the game? You're going to do his running for him. Well, you can, absolutely. In most games, you can probably get away with having 10 men out of possession. But the reality is, when you're playing against the teams we were talking about before, mm. at this level, you name a player in, in the Liverpool, Chelsea or Man City team that they carry when they haven't got the ball. Mm. You can't name one. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. One-one final score. Really good game of football in West London. So Manchester United under whichever manager, whether it's Carrick, whether it's Rangnick, uh, they've got Arsenal on Thursday. Then it's home to Palace, away to Norwich and Brentford, home to Brighton. They go to Newcastle, and then just before the New Year, they're at home to Burnley. That's their next seven in the Premier League. Now, last weekend, David de Gea fronted up and did the post-match interviews, saying how. The side were embarrassing in their defeat to Watford by four goals to one. Bit different, seven days on. Well, David, you stood in front of a, a microphone after the Watford game and gave a very honest assessment of the standard of the performance. A week on, what can you say? How much better was that? Well, I think we, we already improved against Villarreal. It was a big game for us. We won, we qualified, and now, of course, we play against a very good team away from home. I think that the, the effort of the team was uh, very good. They had the, the best chances, to be honest. Uh, for me, it's not enough. A draw. We, we want to win all the time, but we are in a tough, tough moment. Still difficult moments, but I'm proud of the of the effort of the team, to be honest. Did you feel under pressure for a lot of the game? Obviously, they had a lot of the ball. They they were probing more than you were, but. You made an early save from Hudson Odoi, but apart from that, it wasn't it wasn't too busy an afternoon. You disagree? Maybe, maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe from outside, but yeah, on the pitch, in the goal, I was feeling danger, danger from nearly the the, the whole game. But we defend well. Uh, they miss big chances as well. They miss the the target, and and then they, I think probably they won. We have they give us a chance and we score. So. Like I say, it's not enough to draw, but at the moment, at the way we are, it's, it's, a, it's a big point. So what steps forward do you think you've made in the last week? If we, if we take defensively, just one goal conceded and that from a penalty? Well, the last games before uh, we were conceding if three or four goals, now we concede one from a penalty. So clean sheet against Villarreal, so I think we are improving. But uh, this is just... Uh, Two, two games we need to, to show uh, in the in the games that we are that are coming we play now against Arsenal big game again so let's let's keep going keep focus and uh, keep, keep keep our 100% also does it make you sad that it's it's come a little bit too late in the week since that Watford game that we've talked about a good man has lost his job yeah for sure we were conceding a lot of goals uh, a lot of chances we were playing very poor so well, at least now we are we are defending well. We are fighting for every ball. I think that's that's good. Like I said, I'm proud of the team. We are fighting for every ball. That's that's the minimum for the Manchester United players. So, yeah, a couple of good results. How strange a situation is it at the moment? You're obviously coping with it quite well, but you've got an interim manager doing a good job. You've got another interim manager coming in. How hard is that for a player? Well, it's a bit strange, but we are professional players. We need to be training properly, playing properly. Uh, play against under the pressure as well. So that's Manchester United. Let's see what will happen in the in the future. But at the moment, we are we are a team. We, we feel like we are all together, uh, fighting for the same the same things. Looking forward to working under Ralph Rangnick. It looks like that's the way it's going. Let's see. Like I said, let's see what happens. Uh, now it's Carrick, the the manager. We are with him. Uh, How well is he done? Michael Good. Okay. I think the team is. We won against Villarreal. We draw here today. Of course, uh, we are conceding still many chances. Uh, but like I said, the team is is together. I think this is make us stronger.
Thank you for your time. Well Thank done. you. Cheers. That is a decent result for Manchester United at Chelsea, but as he says, still conceding lots of chances, lots of work for whoever comes in whenever they come in, certainly to do on that back line. Let's take you back pitch side then. Graham Rousseau alongside Arlo White as they await some post-match interviews. Some post-match thoughts of both of you, please. Yeah, hi, Rebecca. We've got through the crowds, got back to the pitch side desk. There's been a little bit of snow around in the air as well. Um, what a difference eight days makes. I mean, there's, there's going to be a huge task at Manchester United to get them anywhere near back to where they were. But from the position they are in after they walked off the field at Vicarage Road to keep a clean sheet and win at Villarreal and then to come here to the league leaders and get a 1-1 draw, Michael Carrick can hold his head up high, can't he, this week? Oh, certainly. Certainly. And they seem to have sort of clearer minds and be more together in the way they're playing. Um, you know, the Villarreal game I saw and, and you know, it wasn't a, a brilliant performance, but, but they dealt with what Villarreal had. And I think today, you know, there was a real identity to their game plan. Um, they worked ever so hard. I was really impressed with Bailly and Lindelof as mm. a pairing. And you picked and, them out before the game yeah, because uh, Maguire and, and Varane were missing, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, that's right. And it was really interesting. Thomas Tuchel said in his pre-match interview about Manchester United with now having an interim and, and confusion, they can't focus on the manager and what his tactics are, more the relationships on the pitch. And that proved to be the case. I think the relationships on the pitch for Manchester United, the togetherness, the unity, got them through a huge amount of pressure and then the quality and the opportunities that they took, few and far between. Mm. But obviously they caused Chelsea problems. Chelsea, from my point of view, were playing really high-risk football on their own set pieces. And they had lots of them, didn't they, as well? well they had 15 corners. Yeah, incredible. And Manchester United bringing everybody back and, and sort of not giving Chelsea anybody to mark caused them quite a few problems. Because when they broke... You know, for the goal, Sancho and Rashford, they ran 100% full intensity mm. to go and press Jorginho. They sensed that he was in, in, in problems when that ball was sort of coming down from the sky. Mm. And they took full advantage of that. And they nearly hung on and, you know, were, were worthy of their point. Sometimes in any sport, if you've got too much time to think about something, it mm -hmm. can go wrong. Jadon Sancho hadn't scored a Premier League goal to this point. He did score at Villarreal during the week. He had a lot of time to think about that because he was clean through. How impressed were you that he kept his call and put the ball away? I thought the finish was excellent. I really do. The, the composure that he showed, that ability when you've got the goalkeeper coming out, the goalkeeper's trying to close down the angle so you've got a little smaller target as possible, make himself big. And he just did that little shimmy that set Mendy off to one side slightly. It's so subtle, but just enough for him then to slide the pass and make it look really easy. But but I, I, I like Jaden Sancho. I mean, fantastic last year. And I think he's got an opportunity now to start really building a career for himself at Manchester United. Michael Carrick is alongside Graham Lasso and Arlo White. Rebecca, thank you very much indeed. Michael, thank you for joining us. Pitch side here at Stamford Bridge. It's been quite a week for you. What was the game plan today and what pleased you the most about the performance? Uh, I was immensely proud of the boys' effort and, and their attitude and the way they went about it. We, we came here to, to, to try and win the game. We came here to win the game. Um, and, we, you know, we had a real positive mindset coming into it. I, we understood it was going to be a tough game. You know, Chelsea have played some, some terrific football, had some great results on a good run of form. And you can see that the confidence, momentum is kind of in their favour. And... Um, we wanted to come here and take the ball and, and, and have more possession and, and um, kind of hide the ball and, and frustrate them a little bit. We, we didn't get managed to do that as much as we would have liked, but I don't blame the players for that because it's it's not easy. You know, Graham knows himself when you've had some bad results and um, confidence is a little bit low. It's not easy to just come and play somewhere like this against the top team and take the ball and, and everything to click into gear. So I, I knew that, but I was just immensely proud of... of, of um, the intent of the players and, and the togetherness and the spirit, I thought they were, they were top draw today. I felt that, watching the team, the, the, the unity between the different units. I thought Eric Bailly and Lindelof were absolutely phenomenal, really set the tone for everyone in terms of their defensive discipline and shape. Was it a case of this week, which is clearly, there's a lot of noise around the club, um, was it a case of really just focusing on those relationships on the pitch to get them through and give them a base in which to play well? Yeah, of course. Tuesday night obviously helped, you know, for, for the for the mood and the confidence. Um, that was another game similar to tonight in some ways, where we had to work hard for, you know, and it didn't come easy. And, um, football's quite easy when it, when you're in a good place and you, you it, it, things come off and you don't really think about it. But when when you overthink it at times, it, it it can it can get complicated and it can seem much harder than it is. And 
Um, just try to tell the boys to, to not think too much, to trust themselves, trust the instinct. Um, but of course, in the back of their mind, coming to a place like this today, and, um, it was about doing the basics well, and, and, and we talked about that, um, and trust ourselves, trust how well we are. And, and I thought as a group, right from the right from the front three of, of blocking the middle of the pitch and not letting uh, passes come through the middle, so then as, as a as a midfield, we, we can trust it's not coming in there, so we can hold our positions, we can spread the pitch a lot more with the back four. Um, Chelsea with their wing backs stretch the pitch full width and, and have runners coming through the middle of the back four. So we adapted that with Scott dropping in at, at times on Hudson Adoy. And um, I thought the boys the, the, the boys had to problem solve a lot on the pitch and, and they've done that well. But that comes back from the attitude and the intent and kind of the way that they went about the business. I was immensely proud of that. What has this week been like for you? You've played football at the highest level. You're a Champions League winner multiple times, in, um, winning the Premier League. But manager of Manchester United, what has the week been like for you? Um, it's, it's been hugely mixed. Obviously, the start of the week was um, was was tough. Especially Sunday going into Monday was, was tough. Um, being so close to Ollie and um, as a group, we're close as players, as staff, we're really close. Um, Sometimes you don't always get what you deserve, you know. It's um, we haven't had the results we, we needed, of course we haven't, and, 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 and you know it wasn't long ago we finished second and, and, and looked like we were in a, in a good place. So um, for it to kind of come to an end was, was wasn't easy. Um, but I had to flip flip the switch and, and, and prepare the team. But to be honest, everyone says about being a week, but it's, it's the club's all I know and it's all I've known for 15 years. So um, it's it's just kind of business in some ways. It's normal, yeah. It's a step up and. Um, it depends how you look at it. I've been quite calm all week, really, and quite, in, 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 in my own way, kind of enjoyed it. But at the same point, I couldn't enjoy it because of the situation. I shouldn't be here in the situation if things had gone well. So yeah. um, it's really mixed. But yeah, I've been quite calm, enjoyed it. Just frustrated we haven't had two wins out of two. Really. <laughs> Has, it <laughs> <Don't be greedy>. <laughs> <laughs> Has it whetted your appetite? I'm not going to ask you about obviously the Manchester United job. You know, we're hearing reports about Ralph Rangnick. I'm sure you'll be doing this job until told otherwise, and then we'll see what happens after that. But has it whetted your appetite to be a number one? Um, I haven't really had time to think too much this week. <laughs> I've been calm and I've, I've slept well, and uh, the staff have been unbelievable and, and um, the way they've, they've helped me. I think having um, everything in place really that's taken over, that I've, I've known the system, known the routines, known the processes that we've got in place. Um, but yeah, I, I, I have enjoyed it in, in my own way and um, felt quite comfortable doing it. So. Um, is that surprising or not? I'm not really sure, to be honest. <laughs> well, you seem quite laid back anyway. So, uh, well, well done. Congratulations on a terrific week for you and for Manchester United. We'll see what happens in the future. Thank you for joining us Cheers. live Thanks. here on uh, NBC, Michael. Thanks very much. Thomas, we're live to uh, the United States. Okay. What are your feelings after the 1-1 draw at home here against United? Oh, well, we're a bit disappointed with the result. But we have no regrets about the way we played and about our performance. I think the team gave everything and uh, we looked sharp, we looked strong and uh, aggressive. Had many high ball recoveries, a lot of ball possession. Uh, yeah, like I said, many high ball wins could not create a, the, a lot of crystal clear chances, but a lot of half chances, deliveries, shots, lacked a bit precision. Had a big one, I think, in the third minute. And then some, some good chances and two against one. And, and yeah, you know, sometimes it's like this. I think if we score the first one, we have a huge chance that we gain some extra percent of freedom, of confidence, and uh, that you maybe need to, to score another one. It was like this against uh, Juventus and could not use a set piece today. And OK, the, the goal for, for United makes things a bit more complicated. <laughs> Did you um, you spoke before the game about Manchester United with yeah. you know with all the noise that's around them at the moment? It's about the relationships on the pitch that are yeah. going to be the problem for you. Did you find that the case? I thought Bailly and Lindelof particularly played well. They made it difficult to break break them down. Yeah, they made it difficult. So you 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 we ha you have to be relentless and keep on trying, not lose your confidence. This is what we told the players. Um, I was very happy that we did not allow dangerous counter-attacks for many, many minutes. Then we had like two set pieces where they caught us once with a big mistake. But in general, we were encouraged enough to close the gaps, did not allow Bruno Fernandes to turn, did not allow Marcus Rashford to, to speed up the game. So, 
Yeah, they have uh, they have of course quality. Then they, they know they have to to dig in deep to to maybe avoid the first goal for us. And then they got lucky. It's like this, but luck is a uh, luck and bad luck is a uh, is a part of football. And unfortunately, we are the guys who were a bit unlucky today. Finally, 51 games now, I think, in, char- in, yeah. in charge of uh, Chelsea. It was number 50 during the week against Juventus, yeah. wasn't it? Um, the fans adore you here. You've had a great amount of success. You appear to be really enjoying it. What has been the favourite aspect of doing this job? And what has surprised you in English football? Surprised? In, in a, it was a, f- a very nice surprise to see the work ethic from the team and uh, the mentality in the club and uh, the amount and quality of support for me and my staff in our, our training building, the, the calmness in, 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 in the club because this is really about football and that's why it's a pure joy from, from day one. It's, uh, I feel so good um, because, yeah, I have the feeling I'm allowed to just be a coach. This is mm. what I want to do and influence a team, be part of a team, of course. This is how we see it. So, um, yeah, the, the, the approach to work, to training from the players is outstanding. And uh, the environment, the league, the opponents, the spectators and the club demands it. It's a nice thing. Well, we're delighted you're here and you're in the thick of the title race, top of the table by a yeah. point. Thomas, thank you very much for joining thank us. You. And thank all the best for the rest of the season. Speak to you soon. I want to talk about Aston Villa and Steven Gerrard because he came in after the firing of Dean Smith. Two games, two victories. Now, part of the success, according to the players, is the fact that Steven Gerrard has banned puddings. I mean, this is a, just a nightmare for me. I would have to leave the club. No, have to leave the club. <laughs> without a doubt, Romy Mosso's not staying. No desserts, no ketchup, no mayonnaise, no fun, basically, no fun, and no, no fizzy fun. drinks in the canteen. Of course, that's a tiny part. He's also set up an Instagram account, a private Instagram account, which only the players follow, which he puts out anything from clips to for, of the games they've played to motivational quotes um, to little uh, moments from training. It's quite an interesting way. I mean, other managers have done the dieting and the nutrition, Robbie Musto, but it, it just all seems to fit together and kind of works for this fresh, new, young manager. What's wrong with ketchup? What is I don't wrong know. With I don't know. That's a great that. question. <laughs> No, I think uh, I think it's really important. And as a player, I'll tell you what, if, if my manager's making making little changes, trying different ideas, setting up groups, I'm all in. I love all that. Like, let's do something different. Let's have this together, together this feeling between the squad. Obviously, the excitement at Villa Park is great because they've got a great, a former great player in charge. He's had good experience up in Scotland in, in the, the Premier League up there, did a really great job and an, an invincible team. I think last year mm-hmm. they won the title without being beaten. Um, it's great for him as well. And these little changes and the way the team looks right now is great. I will say, Tim, I don't know whether you agree with this, that there is a a certain honeymoon period with this particular manager um, reacting from this new stuff and the way they've started. If he can keep this going, then that's really, really impressive. I just would would fear that... it might drop off a little bit. But let's wait and see. Listen, this is is great so far, and the Villa fans are delighted. Yeah, I I mean... I could have more respect for, for Steven Gerrard. I, I think the way he carries himself, the leader that he is. I, I like this Aston Villa squad. I do. I think it has talent. It needs a little bit more continuity, kind of figure out what life is like after Jack Grealish, all of those things. But even after the honeymoon period, Steven Gerrard doesn't strike me as the type of person that's going to let people down tools. It's going to let standards drop. He's setting the standards, catch up or not. He's setting standards. And I just, throughout his playing career and, and his manager, young managerial career, the standards keep going up and up. I can't see those dropping. It's interesting. Maybe it's less about the ketchup and more about just the fact that he's making those tweaks. Correct. So at uh, Finch Farm, Everton's training ground, yeah. on a random Thursday, yeah. did you have dessert? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You were a Lots dessert man, yeah, weren't yeah, you, Tim? Yeah. Daily desserts? No. No, not like mustard. I did. Treacle sponge and custard oh, every day. Amazing. At training? Yeah. Yeah, after playing, why not? Treacle sponge. I can't believe the way the game has gone. <laughs> no, nothing wrong. We were told, by the way, just quickly, eat anything. Anything carbohydrate, eat, 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 because it's just the replenishing of the carbs was the main thing. And here we are. And so you on, exactly. <laughs> David, congratulations. Uh, you're playing a Crystal Palace team who've been in terrific form. How good a win is that? Yeah, it's a really big win, and uh, the players deserve a lot of credit for that. You know, we're asking a lot of them. We're demanding a lot. Um, been in for two weeks, and um, I must say the players have um, really applied themselves fantastically well, and 
today's the rewards for all the work that they've put in, but as you say, really tough place to come, historically, great atmosphere here, second half we had to dig in, we had to suffer at times, but, you know, at this level, you have to accept that, you have to roll your sleeves up, and um, I thought at times today we played at real quality and we could have scored more goals ourselves. I've been here a few times this season and Palace like to start on the front foot, and actually, you bossed it right from the first whistle, didn't you? Yeah, I thought we were excellent first half. It was the perfect half that we were looking for, you know, playing through the press, playing through the pressure, and then when our moments come, go and try and hit Crystal Palace. So at half-time, really pleased. We knew second half that they were going to change a few things, and uh, credit to Patrick and Crystal Palace, I thought they were really good second half, but we kept our shape, we stayed disciplined, and it was till injury time, till that was broken, so... A lot of positive to take from it again. We've backed up the performance last week and now obviously we roll into a massive game on Wednesday. Palace have conceded a lot of goals from set pieces this season. I'm sure you were aware of that before the game. The goal, first goal comes from a corner. Yeah, nine. Nine set yeah. plays. Um, a lot of second phases within that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was certainly something that we looked at before the game. You know, I think at this level you've got to look for every little... Um, weakness if you like or any little thing you can exploit and um, you try and give that information to the players but they're the ones that have gone out and carried it out so two really good goals from our point of view. We saw what it meant when the second goal went in to everyone including you guys. You needed that didn't you as a quality goal? Yeah listen one goal's never enough. Um, you know you want to go and try and get that second goal so we, we, we knew it was going to be a really difficult place for Crystal Palace to be in. It was a fantastic strike from John and we had one or two moments after that as well to go and get more. Um, we look really dangerous on the break, on the counter, but that's come off the base and the defending shape and the structure. So, um, a lot to us, a lot for us to improve on and move forward with. Um, but really pleased, I can't ask for anyone. And a word for a veteran in the side, Ashley Young at 36. He did a fantastic job for you, didn't he? He's been brilliant since I walked in the door, but I expected nothing else. I've played with, played with Ash, I know what his standards and his level's like. Um, but he's in that start. I thought he'd come on last week and done really well. Trained well, he backed that up. And uh, he deserved a start today. Um, everything we've asked for, um, to the letter, he's done. And a quick word for the supporters, because they played their part for you as well, didn't they? Yeah, fantastic. They were with us all the way. Um, we're certainly going to need that. You know, we need Wednesday nights against a real tough opposition. We're going to need them again. But it's nice for them to be in a better place than they was a couple of weeks ago. A couple of wins makes people smile, makes people feel better. But in this league, you can't enjoy it for too long. You've got to reset and go again. Well done. Thanks so Thank much. You. Cheers. Welcome along to this week's edition of The Lowdown, presented by Lexus. I'm Rebecca Lowe here in the Premier League studio. We're all done for another Premier League weekend. Robbie Musso, Tim Howd have been alongside me all weekend, and now it's time for them to ask me the difficult questions. Five of them, 30 seconds each, but as we know, I never hit that. And you've got the first one, Robbie. I have, and it's a question that you asked me this weekend. It's always that way, by the way. This literally turn uh, the table. I, yeah, literally like to do this. Um, so, Arsenal, yeah. are we looking at a legitimate top four challenge this season? Oh, um, for a little bit longer, I think yes. So, I think maybe they'll be in and around that top four challenge over the Christmas period. So many games. So, I think that they have got a deep enough squad and a decent enough squad to stay in it up until then. Once they get past Christmas and we get into the FA Cup in full flow, and they do love an FA Cup at Arsenal, um, and I just, I just think that they might build up some injuries. They might start fading no away. No European football. No, I know. I know all that. I still just think they haven't quite got that under strength. So I would say top six challenge come March. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's a difficult question. This is an easy one. Should the Brighton fans be booing their team off the pitch? No! <laughs> that was insanity! Yeah. I mean, they're eighth, I think. In the, no, they're ninth. But at the time, yeah, when they were yeah, being good, yeah. they were eighth in the Premier League. Nil-nil against Leeds. He is the best manager. You said it on the show today. They've had in forever. This is the best season that Brighton have had in forever. Um, Graham Potter is linked to massive jobs. Mm-hmm. You've got to be careful what yeah. you wish for. You're booing a manager, essentially, and a team. And that manager might well walk out. And then where are you going to be? Because Brighton have been right. The, and that's what's the short memories of these fans mm. staggers me. Crazy booing at the Amex. Next question. Uh, okay, so you're manager of your Premier League team. Okay. Who That'll are you going to pick? Only one player for the right back. Rhys James or Trent Alexander-Arnold? 
Rhys James. I love Trent Alexander-Arnold, but I would say that it's hard sometimes doing the show from here in the States because we don't get to watch a lot of live games in person. Went over to England, as you and I both yeah, did, both went to Wembley, watched Rhys James play for England against Albania. Mm. I know Albania not so good. But Rhys James in real life is was I mean, took my breath away. He was quite something. He was so dynamic, so fast, so talented. At, in, for me, he was almost head and shoulders above anyone else on the field. He was so good. Um, he's obviously scoring goals for fun for Chelsea. Mm-hmm. I love his attitude. I just love his back. I just think he's fantastic. For me, it's Rhys James. Yeah. But what an embarrassment of Richards Amazing. England yeah, they exactly. head towards winning Amazing. the World Cup in 2020. No, no, no wrong choice there. <laughs> Let's go to the tippy top of the country. Is Eddie Howe? the right man to keep Newcastle in the Premier League. I fear not, Tim Howard. Mm. I fear not. I mean, at the back, they're not very good. And Mm. and Eddie Howe is not known for his defensive organisation. And he doesn't really want to be known for that. He wants to be known to play on the front foot, play lovely football. And we talked a little bit about the comparison with Kevin Keegan. I mean, in some ways, the Newcastle fans are going to love this because they should score a lot of goals, but they'll let in a lot of goals, just like Keegan's years. But they're not going to be at the top of the league under Eddie Howe anytime soon. I fear this might be a mistake from Eddie Howe. And I'm not saying they'll fire him. I just think I'm not sure it's going to turn out quite how he expected his next job after Bournemouth to do. Having said that, he had to get back in. He yeah. had to get back in. We saw what happened at Alan Kerbishley. Remember yeah. him? Never got Forever back in. Forever ago. Yeah. Yeah. He kept getting linked and never got back in and mm. ended up just retiring. Mm. All right, I've got the last question. Okay. And it goes back to our um, call of action for this weekend. Which Premier League oh. player are you most thankful for? Which Premier League player am I most thankful for? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I'm going to go... <laughs> go I'm, do it. Say it. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with Wilfred Zaha. I'm yeah, going to go with Wilfred Figured Zaha. that. Because... How can you not be thankful for Wilfred Zahar as a Crystal Palace fan? He's brought everything to the club, over 50 Premier League goals. I love, I know all of you guys get worried about him and his temperament every week, but I love that temperament. The best thing about Wilfred Zahar, he grew up a stone's throw from Selhurst Park, and now look what he's doing. It is, without doubt, a rags to riches story for the ages. Wilfred Zahar, very Fired grateful for it. you love indeed. It. My Lexus moment of the week, though, is actually against Crystal Palace. Steven Gerrard's second win in two games as manager. This is John McGinn's goal. Ended up being the winner. Lovely goal, by the way. But the moment for me is just a bit of winning under Steven Gerrard. He's banned puddings. Disaster. He's banned ketchup. Even worse. No mayonnaise. No fizzy drinks. But there's something about Steven Gerrard as a player that was incredible. And there's something about Steven Gerrard as a manager that seems to be attractive. And I feel like this is a lovely fit. It's the perfect level of club for him right now at the perfect time. So he got my moment of the week. That does it for this edition of the Premier League on NBC podcast. Be sure to check out other episodes where you'll get a collection of our most spirited in-studio debates as well as exclusive on-site access. Plus, don't miss out on Premier League mornings, weekends at 7am Eastern on NBCSN and Peacock Premium. Bye for now. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.